0: to keep playing just as we have our reading, because I just, um, as I've been reflecting on this reading this week, and um, for some of the things I've been doing, I just have felt this real sense that this reading uh, needs to be set in the context of worship, uh, in order for the Spirit to to do to speak to us uh, afresh through it. Um and we need our hearts to be open to what God wants to say this morning uh, through this passage. So just as Becky continues to, to play, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3, and we're beginning at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized of him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the foot of the trees, the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winning fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we thank you that this is your word pray for your anointing and blessing on Rick as he comes and shares this word with us now, as he shares the journey you're taking him on through these words. May we hear more from your spirit this morning.
1: Amen. Well, good morning. Yes, I was... um kind of excited but intrigued when I saw what had been given to me for the reading this week to to preach from. Um, And I've had an interesting experience preparing for it. I think I've maybe slightly over-prepared and gone a bit too deep. So I'm kind of like, I'm not quite sure what's going to come out of my mouth, but it's okay, I do really. But uh, I just want to pray for myself as I start. Father, would you um, open our ears, soften our hearts, Give us eyes to see things that we haven't seen before about you, Jesus. And that we would take our our rightful place as sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I spoke probably about a month ago, and uh, rather foolishly at that time, I asked my oldest and best friends if they'd like to send in some jokes. And they were universally appalling. They were terrible jokes, and I I apologise for that. Um, This time I've said to my my oldest friends, college friends, would you pray for me? And as a bargaining chip, I said, you can also send in some jokes. I'm I'm sorry to to inflict this on you. So they have sent in a few just to lighten the mood as we come in. They're all, um, they had to be, I'd said they've got to be about Advent, and they've sent in some pictorial ones. So, Paul, if you could just pick up the first one. And that's a picture of the first Noel. Can you read that? Yeah, you can groan or, or clap. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, this is a sort of very contemporary one about Downing Street. Remember, if anyone asks, we're all from the same household. <laughs> and then finally, how the turkey became traditional Christmas fare. Okay, I'm making no apologies for that. <laughs> so it, it's, um, it's the third week of Advent. And um, Advent, as you know, is, is a preparation, it is an anticipation for coming, the coming of Jesus. And I think what's been refreshing this Advent, and I've, I've talked to a few people, Colin being one of them, where the lectionary has taken us a place where it hasn't all been about Jesus coming as a baby, his incarnation, We've looked at his second coming. Carl did that two weeks ago. But it's still really powerfully his coming, anticipation of the God who was and is and is to come. And then last week, Carl um, introduced the subject of John the Baptist, preparing the way by getting people to turn around to be baptized as a preparation for Messiah coming. And so this morning, we're following on that 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 journey that John the Baptist is taking people on in preparation for who Messiah is going to be and what he will look like. Um, I'm just going to read again the last few verses that, that Carl read out. The people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then this unusual phrase, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up with chaff, the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people. So John, has done such, John the Baptist, that is, has done such an amazing job of preparing the way for the Messiah that the, there's this huge wave of expectation and anticipation. People are coming out from Jerusalem and all the Judean countryside because they recognize the time is here. Messiah is coming. So much so that they even think maybe this wild man living in the wilderness is actually the Messiah himself. And so you can imagine this 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 almost this fervour, messianic fervour that's going on. And John has to in a way set the record straight. And he says it in this way the one who is coming after me, the one I'm preparing the way for, he is way greater than I am. He is more powerful than I am, he is supreme. And in comparison to him, I'm not even equivalent of his servant. I'm not even able to stoop down and untie his sandals. That is how much greater he is than me. He says, I've, I've been baptizing you here as preparation in this river, but he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and in fire. I've given you this physical, temporal baptism in water, as a sign, but he's going to give you this eternal, supernatural baptism in the Holy Spirit. My baptism is heart-preparing. His baptism is life-changing. And any of you know who who become believers, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the word is immersion, like being baptised in water. There's an immersion of the Holy Spirit where the power of the Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us into the kind of people that God intends us to be, refines um, or, or rubs off the sharp edges in us, refines the impurities like silver. And so that's what John the Baptist is painting this picture. This is what Messiah is going to do. And then he says this kind of strange... Phrase. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Oh, I meant to have a winnowing fork with me, and I've, I've left it in my van. But his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to bring in the harvest and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And it's a kind of, to us anyway, I'm sure, it's a kind of a weird image. What on earth was John the Baptist prophetically referring to? What did he have in his heart that he was trying to paint a picture of the Messiah that was to come? And of course... Well, I don't know if of course, but it is a picture of harvest. Um, between the ages of about 14 and 25, I spent 11 summers where the whole summers revolved around harvest, either on my parents' farm or um, working on other, other people's farms as a student. And that would be a process, or it would be, uh, last for maybe six weeks to three months where everything from sort of seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night revolved around bringing in the harvest. But in modern agriculture, it's just one process. Combine harvester goes into a field, it cuts the grain, the grain is separated from the straw, the grain goes into a hopper, the straw is blown out the back, and the chaff is blown away. But in first century Palestine, and in developing world agriculture today, It's not like that, it's a four-stage process. And that's why if we get into the language of John the Baptist, that's why we need to understand what was going on. So the first stage in the process is the farm worker goes in with a sickle and they cut the standing crop. The standing crop that is absolutely ripe to be harvested. The grain is almost literally falling out. They They cut the standing crop, they put it into sheaves and they bring the sheaves into a threshing floor. That's stage one. Stage two is the crop is threshed, which means the straw is separated from the grain. Oh, I've forgotten the photos were there. And that can be done in different ways. It can be done using a threshing sledge, or it can be done here in the picture, where animals, often with a cart, will go over and over and over the straw, and so the straw breaks free from the grain. That's stage two. Stage three is you're left with A big mound of grain. And uh, actually, can you have the next one as well? Yeah. And then the the grain is winnowed. So the farm worker gets in with his winnowing fork um, and he throws the grain up into the air. And the lighter chaff is blown away by the breeze, by the wind, and the heavier grain drops to the floor. So that's stage three, the winnowing. So that's the picture of Jesus with a winnowing fork in his hand, and then stage four is that the grain is brought into the granary to be stored, and that the waste product, the chaff the dust the husks are burnt up got rid of four stages so why why did John the Baptist use that picture to describe Jesus who is coming or the Messiah well Harvest is not an unusual theme throughout the Bible, is it? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus uses a lot of parables where harvest is the theme. The kingdom of God is like. And he says things like um, the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the vineyard. And they all include an element of a landowner or a king has given something to a group of people, a vineyard, a field, a farm. And he's given them everything they need to be productive. And then he steps back and he allows them to do what they choose to do with what he's given them. Because there is an anticipation of harvest. And that the person is looking for a share in what's being produced, but he's also looking for fruitfulness. He's looking for a harvest. He's looking for something out of the generosity and the liberty of what he's given. And of course it's a picture of God the Father. It's a picture that Jesus gave. That God is looking for fruit in our lives and in the nations. He's looking for good fruit. But we, we can't ignore the fact that there's different things that we hear when we think about that picture of threshing, of winnowing, of harvesting. There's different pictures. And some of us might be drawn to immediately what carl said two weeks ago about the second coming of jesus and that jesus will come and there will be a separation he's going to come and bring a new heaven and a new earth but he's also going to be coming as judge the judge between the living and the dead but judge between the wicked and the righteous. And it's—I I refer you back to Carl's sermon because it was so helpful, and um, so good at just tackling a very difficult subject in a really, really good way. So, if you haven't heard it, is on the is on YouTube. Because I'm not going to say so much more about it. But there's more. If we just think it's about Jesus' second coming that John the Baptist was referring to, then we'd be missing the point. We're not missing the point. We'd be missing a very large part of it. And I want to just read um, this from Luke 12, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, "I've come to start a fire on Earth and how I wish it were blazing right now." And that sounds a bit like burning the chaff, doesn't it? I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up." like the process of winnowing, and how I long for it to be finished. Do you think I came to smooth things over and to make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. From now on, you will find five in a house, and it will be three against two and two against three, father against son and son against father. That's Luke twelve forty nine. But he's talking about himself at that time, the kingdom of God coming as he came, not about a future event, but at that point. And then in John 12, he says something else, which is really illuminating. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason that I've come to this far, this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus, John the Baptist is picturing a final judgment, but he's also picturing the cross of Jesus as being a judgment against the devil against sin against wickedness that was going to happen right at that time as Jesus goes to the cross as Jesus is resurrected and as the spirit comes at Pentecost it's all about harvest Jesus said to his disciples look around you look at the fields they're ready they're ripe The crop is ready to fall. The seed is ready to fall out of the seed head. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Father to send workers into the field. Because God's heart so much yearns for people to respond to him, to come near to him, to be drawn to him. And he knows that the cross is the way that that presence of evil the enemy, his power is going to be broken, so that there will be a liberty for people to come to come into his kingdom. But when they come, they will be faced with a place of Jesus being the line in the sand, the defining one. And many people, like he said in the parable of the seed of the sower, many people will hear his voice, will hear his word, and reject it. Others people will will hear his word and accept it, but their lives will be too busy. There'll be too many fears and too many anxieties. And so they'll walk away. But Jesus says there's going to be a harvest for people who hear my word, accept it into their hearts, and receive it. So there's a harvest. And there's a shifting going on within us because the Holy Spirit is working in us, winnowing, purifying us purifying me at work within me because Jesus loves us with such a burning intensity that he doesn't want this the rubbish the fears the anxieties to rob us of our first love for Jesus and so there's a burning going on there's a winnowing going on because he is preparing a bride a worldwide bride that he's going to come back for and we're part of that and so this, this year has been a year where I've been I don't know why but I've been drawn to this subject but also the leadership of Jesus the kingship of Jesus and I guess it's because we've had such an uncertain 18 months we kind of wonder what do we have that makes sense Apart from his leadership, apart from knowing that history is in his hands and it's going somewhere and that he will return, how do I make sense of what's going on? And so I think there's a call, certainly for me and I think for us, to realign ourselves with God's word, to realign ourselves with Jesus as the Lord of the harvest, Jesus as the Lord of history, that it's moving in a certain direction and that he is in control of it he is the leader of it and so we can joyfully submit and enjoy his leadership as long as we can realign ourselves with him and say yes and amen and I, I'm sure many of you will sense that there's just been a freshness to the Spirit of God moving in these last few months as we've met together. There's been a fresh sense of Jesus being our leader and taking us in places, maybe unfamiliar places, but places which are exciting. Um, and maybe refining as well, like challenging, challenging the places that we maybe wouldn't rather go, or maybe challenging us with some verses that we, in the Bible, that we kind of passed over God is highlighting and so I'm just going to pray and ask Jesus to be what he always wants to be which is our the leader of us for his spirit to come maybe Carl would like to come as well do you want this has been a um a complicated journey of preparing this for me because every day I, I read something else and think oh gosh that contradicts what I read yesterday but there's a sense of which the spirit of God is just saying it's not about the harvest on its own but it's about the one who stands as your king and as your leader and this advent time will you make space for him in your hearts Will you yield to him? And so we just, maybe you want to just hold out your hands if you're comfortable with that. And I invite Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come to magnify Jesus? Would you come to make him bigger? and greater and more powerful just like John the Baptist said would you come on us as a body as a family to baptize us again in the holy spirit and in fire a, f- a fire that produces life in us that produces joy in us that produces hope produces resilience it produces kindness and compassion for one another. That takes us deeper into the love that you have for us.